Rachel Pontillo from Holistically Hope and the Nutritional Aesthetics Alliance. And I have got a very special guest today that I'm so excited to share with you. Orly Vector is a skincare dietitian and a healthy living strategist whose mission is to help bright, driven women get glowing skin and killer confidence, which allows them to show up as their best and brightest self. Love it. Orly believes that healthy skin starts from the inside and uses a personalized holistic approach that combines nutrition-based counseling and natural skincare solutions and self-care techniques. Can you see why I wanted to interview her, right? So I give you Orly Vector. I'm so excited to share her with you. Hi, Orly. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you. Hi, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to speak with you too. Awesome. So today we're going to talk about what I think is a really interesting conversation piece when we talk about the whole skin health link. And that is the topic of food triggers as well as elimination diets. I know for me, I have my book, Love Your Skin, Love Yourself. And when I get to the chapter where I tell people about eliminating what I call the skin trigger trifecta, which is gluten, dairy, and sugar, that's when people are like, oh, you had me until now. And in my coaching <laughs> practice, I kind of run into the same thing. People are like all on board with the greens and the whole grains and the healthy proteins. But then when I'm like, gluten, dairy, sugar, might want to cut those down. They're like, ah, yeah, no, you can't take away my cheese. You can't take away my, <laughs> you know, my this and my that. And, um, how do you how do you feel about that from your perspective as a dietitian? I would love to know what you think about those three triggers as well as any other foods or substances that you've seen in your practice that you know to trigger skin conditions. Yes, absolutely. And you're right. It is so difficult for people to give up certain foods, but I do agree with your skin trigger trifecta. Oh, good. Sugar, yeah. <laughs> Sugar, dairy, and gluten are definitely the major foods that I've seen to trigger breakouts and flare-ups of lots of different skin conditions. So not just acne, but psoriasis and eczema. But there can be different culprits, definitely depending on the, the particular person and the skin condition that they have. So an example would be spicy food and alcohol for rosacea. Mm. Those can definitely trigger a lot of redness in the skin. And beyond that, there's just individual tolerances. So I have a good example of two clients, actually. One of them would get really bad cystic acne on her neck every time that she drank coffee. Ooh. So yeah, it took us a while to figure that one out, but it was a trigger for her. And then this one is really strange. So <laughs> I had a woman who reacted to avocados with breakouts. And wow. so I know I'm sure you can um, relate that that's, that's a really particularly strange one because avocados are a food that we often recommend for skin and can be a really good food for the skin. But it's always, you know, there's going to be individual tolerances. And for, for this particular woman, avocados would trigger her breakouts. Wow. And yeah, avocados, I know in particular, if you are someone who is avoiding the trifecta, avoiding dairy, I know a lot of vegan desserts and vegan meals that are kind of dairy substitutes or cheese substitutes do include avocado. So that yeah. might be something where they would have to take a little bit of a closer look to see what they can tolerate. 
and what they can't on an individual level. Exactly. Yeah, avocados can add that creaminess that people right. miss without the dairy. So, yeah. So that that's really interesting. So my question then is, from your perspective, why would you say these food triggers actually do trigger the skin conditions? What is it about them that doesn't work for people? So it does vary depending on the particular food, but I think a lot of people don't realize that the health of our digestive system and our skin is so intimately connected. And in fact, the gut gut health is truly the root of all health. Um, you know, I think people are hearing that more and more now that all this fascinating research about the gut microbiome is coming out. But if our digestive system isn't functioning properly, then we just can't absorb all the nice nutrients and vitamins that we need from food. So it, it goes beyond just eating a healthy healthy diet, like somebody could be eating a perfect diet, but if their digestion isn't working properly, then they're not actually using those nutrients that they're consuming. So I think for some people, it can actually be a blessing, even though they don't see it that way. Having a skin condition can be a blessing because it helps them realize that there is something going on on the inside and like they need to dig deeper and figure out what it is and maybe without that particular skin condition they would never know that there was a problem on the inside so um, certain foods for example dairy and sugar which we already talked about can really trigger inflammation mm. in the digestive tract and um, dairy is a really hormone rich food so if you think about it cow's milk is designed to grow a cow like a baby cow from 70 pounds to a thousand pounds wow. in just 15 months so uh, that's the, obviously a lot quicker growth than a human needs and there's even some studies that show um, young boys developing breast tissue because of the hormones in milk so uh, there's also a lot of sugar from the natural sugar lactose in milk so that that can be another problem with uh, with milk in particular and now uh, when it comes to sugar it's extremely addictive that's a really tough one we love it <laughs> and there are some studies that even show uh, rats found sugar was eight times more addictive than cocaine like they preferred it over cocaine so our reward centers in our brain really light up when we have sugar and we we love it but it is bad news for the skin and it can also contribute to mood swings so um lots yeah i mean i could go on and on but <laughs> <laughs> it's such a rich topic yeah now gluten in particular i know for a while, people really got on the gluten-free bandwagon and you're starting to see gluten-free everything popping up in here and there. And now we're starting to see kind of a return back to, you know, it's not the gluten, it's actually the glyphosate, it's the pesticides, it's not the wheat. So what's your take on that in terms of being a skin trigger? Do you, do you think that the gluten is still responsible or do you think it's more of a wheat thing or a glyphosate thing? What do you think about that? It's, that's a good question, and I think it's, it's probably unique for each particular person. So in certain conditions, like celiac disease, we know that definitely people cannot have 
any wheat in their diet and it does do a lot of damage to the, the lining of their intestines. And it's interesting because there's a skin condition called dermatitis herpetiformis, which can sometimes be how celiac disease presents itself. Wow. So it's just kind of more proof that what's going on on the inside can really display itself on our skin on the outside. Um, but it's, yeah, it's hard to know that whether it's because of the genetically modified organisms or the, the pesticides that they're using on our wheat now. Um, but I think for, it's probably different for different people. So that's really interesting. It's kind of like a celiac disease of the skin. Mm hmm. That that I find that fascinating. Um, now, something that I know that I've run into personally, as well as in my practice is that I don't have celiac, but I know that if I have too much gluten, I'm going to have a skin reaction of some kind. So different levels of sensitivity and intolerances. Are those something that are that that can be identified with an elimination diet? Or is that something that you would ha have to have testing for? What do you think about that? I think the best way is through an elimination diet. It, it is considered the gold standard when it comes to food sensitivities or intolerances. Gluten, it it's like, like you said, it's been in the media a lot lately. It's been getting a lot of bad press. And for some people, it's a huge trigger. And for other people, it, it isn't. But by doing an elimination diet, it really, it usually becomes quite apparent. And it can be a dose dependent thing too. Some people are okay to have maybe a little bit of, of gluten in their diet. But then if they have it at every single meal, it, then it can have a, an effect on their skin and, and just their overall health, bloating, um, lots of lots of triggers. Gotcha. So I know that there's a lot of different kinds of elimination diets out there. I have a lot of clients who have come to me who are interested in doing an elimination diet because they've read about it on the internet. They've seen anything from a one week elimination all the way up to a three or a six month elimination. So what do you typically recommend for your clients? Is there kind of a gold standard like you said, or is it something that you tailor? How do you kind of get started with that? That's very true. There are many different elimination diet protocols out there, so it can get confusing, especially if people start doing their own research online and they start eliminating foods themselves. But I definitely always recommend my recommendations uh, on the person's individual situation. So I factor in their unique health concerns and also their level of motivation. But um, some elimination diets start off with kind of like a detox phase where they they uh, maybe they'll do juices or soups or smoothies for a couple days and then just to give it a quick jump start and then they move into the the elimination phase and others just uh, just jump right in without the detox phase. But I typically recommend minimum four to six weeks of elimination. I find it takes usually takes that long to see improvement but I do monitor people very closely and if I if I find that somebody experiences full resolution of their symptoms in three weeks then I'm perfectly comfortable moving them on to the reintroduction phase where we start to add back foods and see what their their triggers are but um, I, I generally say four to six weeks. So that might seem like a long time to a lot of people. It might seem a little bit overwhelming. How do you recommend people kind of deal with those feelings of resistance? Do you think it's possible to go it alone or really should they work with someone? 
I definitely think that they should work with somebody because not only for the support, but the guidance, people need substitutions, right? It's easy yeah. to say, okay, eliminate dairy, eliminate sugar, eliminate gluten, and then send them on their way, but they're left thinking, well, okay, now what? Like, I have no clue what to eat. So I think having that guidance, having somebody who's done it before, who has recipes or meal plans that can really be quite helpful. Absolutely. And I think also because there are not only different timeframes that they might, that people might research on the internet, but different protocols, anything from a master cleanse type thing to liquids only to, I, I mean, there's just so many different quote unquote elimination diets or detox diets out there. I, I definitely recommend that people. Yeah. And if you don't. Type of yeah, professional. exactly. Like if you don't do it in a systematic way, you can just end up eliminating so many foods, but still having no idea what your triggers are. And then you can, it's possible if somebody's on it for too long that they can run into nutritional deficiencies. Right. And especially that's a concern for young people. So I don't particularly in my practice work with, with children, but um, their elimination diets are quite popular for eczema in children. And so if you're eliminating, like say, a certain food group for quite a long time in a child, that can be a problem with, mm. with nutrient deficiency. So it's always a good idea to work with a, a professional. I, yeah, I, especially for children. And eczema in children is running rampant, I feel like. It's so common lately. So, yeah. all right. Well, we talked about, you know, kind of a detox phase and then an elimination phase. We can't talk about detox without talking about detox symptoms <laughs> because I think I think people are aware before they go into a cleanse or a detox that, you know, there's going to be some discomfort involved and that's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't do it. Um and I know also that if you have a headache, you can't exactly take an analgesic or something an over-the-counter drug that people might used to be used to doing because it kind of interferes with the detox process. So what do you recommend for your clients in dealing with those detox symptoms? Yes, you're right. The first few days on an elimination can be rough. And so some common symptoms people might experience are things like headaches, irritability, hunger, feeling achy. <laughs> I mean, there it, there's so many possible symptoms. And it's really similar to withdrawal from other addictive substances like alcohol or nicotine. You know, people don't, I think they don't maybe think of food as something that's addictive, but it truly can be. And the interesting thing is that I find foods that people are most addicted to are often what they're really most allergic to or intolerant to. And so if somebody tells me I can't give up a certain food, I know that's the one they really need to, um, at least temporarily. Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? It really, <laughs> I love that. It, for me, it kind of helped to give those foods their own identity so that I kept my own identity, not being dependent on those foods. But um, yeah, I, I, do, I do a detox, usually seasonally, just kind of, you know, upkeep and maintenance. And I find that each time there's usually different symptoms, mm -hmm. depending on what's going on in my life or my diet at that time. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you recommend that 
anything natural that people can take or do you just recommend more sleep or rest? What do you tell people to do? Yes, definitely. So for minimizing the withdrawal symptoms, there's a few things. And I think one of them is just being prepared in advance. So I always let my clients know that these are some things you might experience just so they're not completely like shocked. And then when they get to that phase, they're, they're more willing to give up. But so drinking lots of water is extremely important just to help flush all the, the toxins through their system. Um, taking walks, fresh walks in the fresh air outside, mm. and be really just being kind to yourself, knowing that maybe a few, for a few days you're not going to be feeling like your best self, but it's sort of a situation of, um, you know, per- sort of temporary pain to get long-term gain, and that uh, it, ultimately they are going to feel so much better. So I think my, yeah, my main recommendations would be the water, resting and uh, taking taking baths and Epsom salts mm. can really be nice too. It's relaxing and uh, it helps helps with um, muscle aches and pains. And, and if you have access to a sauna, that can be a great thing too because it can help just sweat out any toxins that need to come out of the body. So I say stay away from really strenuous exercise just because it's it's a lot on your system when you're eliminating food, plus you're trying to go hard with the exercise. It's just not, I think it's overkill. So during those few days, I'd say walking, stretching, just sort of light movement would, would be the best bet. And then another thing that I think can be really helpful, which a lot of people might not think about, is uh, the mindset. So being prepared, like I said, but also maybe having some affirmations Mm. or um, statements they can tell themselves in advance because inevitably people are going to have thoughts like, oh, this is just too hard. I can't do this. I want to give up. And so I want people to catch those thoughts and be prepared with a response. So rather than this is too hard, maybe I can get through this or I'm going to feel so much better in the end so that they can just kind of trick themselves uh, into having that positive mindset. I think that's a great tip. I know that a lot of people do rely on other people for support and accountability during something like this. But if it's a person who hasn't gone through it themselves, that is not necessarily the best means of support. And even if they are someone who has gone through something similar, no experience is the same. So I always feel like we have to be our own best cheerleaders. We have to be our own best accountability. And even if we don't believe ourselves when we're practicing affirmations, the more we (laughs) do it, the more our bodies and our minds and our spirits believe it. So it's, um, I think that's a great, a great point. So I have a question now, you mentioned how elimination diets you feel really are the gold standard. Are there any instances where additional testing is necessary to figure out what's going on with someone? That's a good question. And it is kind of a controversial one because when it comes to food allergy or or food sensitivity testing, there's so many different options out there. And the thing is that the tests are very specific. So they're looking for maybe a very specific protein in foods. And if that's not the thing that you're reacting to, you might not see Uh, you might not see a result. So you might end up, some people end up with what we call like false positives where, um, for example, I had one, one woman who 
her test showed up that she was allergic to broccoli, but she wasn't. I mean, when we tested it, like she didn't have any response from broccoli. So it's possible that people end up with way too many restrictions. Um, it can be a good place to start. And certainly for those like severe anaphylactic type allergies, which we're not really talking about today. I mean, for those blood tests are, are definitely key. And that would have to be ordered by like a physician. Um, but I personally prefer to go with elimination diets just because they really are the most reliable uh, and they're less expensive, right? Some of these tests can be, lab tests can be quite pricey. Oh, so yeah. um, I, I, I'm a big fan of the elimination diets and um, like I know lab tests can be kind of a quick a quick solution for people which which <laughs> I know people like and and it can be a good place to start but um, I, I don't usually recommend them in my practice and if somebody's already come in with the results then I'll definitely work with them from there but if they ask me for my opinion I would just jump to the elimination diet. I think that's I think it's a great way to look at it because even if you do have a test done, once you get that information, you then have to take action. So people say knowledge is power, but honestly, knowledge doesn't do you any good if you don't know what to do with that knowledge to help yourself. So what yeah. I know what I like about the elimination diet is that you're already taking action. And then once you figure out what those sensitivities are, well, you've already eliminated them and you already know you can. So it's like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. well, we just keep those out. And after any cravings I've noticed, by the end of the elimination portion, you've forgotten about them. And yes. you know, your body has too. So I, I, I know I really encourage anybody who has skin symptoms of any kind to do some kind of an elimination diet, hopefully with a coach or a dietitian or a nutritionist, because it really not only can get you the information that you're looking for, but you're already taking action. So it's less to think about once you have that information. Definitely. Awesome. I, I totally agree. Well, I love that information. I think that that is great information that people can use and understand a little bit more about skin triggers and elimination diets. So thank you for sharing that. And I think you, you have a program coming up, don't you? Yes, I do. So I'm launching a holiday radiance challenge because with the holidays coming up, people are going to be going to lots of fun parties. And of course, they want to look their best. And so this is the perfect time to start making changes. And so I have a five-day challenge where each day I'll release a video with a, a tip for the day and it's just to get people motivated to get them started and of course in five days you're not going to see a sudden transformation in your skin but it's really more about setting the foundation and uh, getting that jump start that you need to get your skin where you want it to be before the holidays. Fantastic and after that's over after we're out of holiday season how can people get in touch with you learn more from you? Yes yeah, so I'd love it if uh, you just visited my website which you can find at skincaredietitian.com and there's lots of information on there uh, about my programs and packages and uh, blog. And if you sign up for my newsletter, you'll also get uh, my ebook, which has lots of great smoothie recipes and talks about how you can blend your way to beautiful skin. 
Love that. You know, I love my smoothies. So, <laughs> well, Orly, thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing all this great information. And I look forward to talking with, with you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Orly Vector, for joining me today. And thank you for watching. If you like this video, make sure you share it with your friends. Go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Leave a comment below. And make sure you come on over to my websites, holisticallyhope.com and nutritionalesthetics.com to learn more. I will talk to you again soon.